It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So we've been walking through the middle part of Ephesians chapter 4, looking at this incredible contrast that Paul has between our former way of living and the new reality that we have in Christ Jesus. And again, in verse 20 and 21, Paul says that we have learned Christ. Not learned about him, but we've actually learned him. And then Paul gives three aspects or outflows of that incredible reality. He says, number one, that we are to lay aside in reference to your former conduct, that old man which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Number two, we are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And number three, we are to put on the new man which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. I love what Paul is doing here in the passage. Again, he's talking about clothing or he's using clothing language. He says that we're to put off something, which was that former thought process, that, that former way of living, that lifestyle mindset of the Gentile. It's that corrupted view or that philosophy of culture that is full of sin and selfishness. Yes, we may have been born with it, but Paul says we are to completely cut it off. We are to throw it away. We are to put it aside. And rather, as he comes in in verse 24, he says we are to put on something. Well, what are we to put on? Listen to how Paul says this again in verse 24. He says, we are to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So Paul says that you have put off your old man. You have put off sin and selfishness. You put off all that corrupting nature. And rather, we are to put on what he calls the new man. Now, he gives two very distinctive aspects about this new man. Number one, he says that this new man was created by God. In other words, God did all the work to bring about our salvation and our redemption. So what part did we have in all of this? Well, none. Unless you want to say, well, we accepted him, that we've embraced Christ and that phenomenal reality. But God's the one who's done all the work. That this new man, this new reality, see, here we are lost in our old lifestyle. We're lost in that old corrupted nature, but God did something. I I read the passage from Ephesians chapter two before where we're talking about that former way of living. And then in verse four, Paul says, but God, see, God has been the one doing something. God is the uh, instigator of this whole thing. This new man was created by God in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, referencing this whole reality. He says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So when you look at this new reality, this new lifestyle that we are called to live, that this new man is created. God was doing something and all that was happening in Christ Jesus. Love that idea. Not only was it created by God, but get this, this new man is in the likeness of God. In other words, it's in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That this new man is after the pattern or the model of God himself. That when he shaped this new creation called man, this second Adam, right? This 
this new man reality, that model or that picture that he was using was himself. That this new man is in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Maybe I can make it even simpler than that. We are to put off sin. We're to put off selfishness. We're to put off that former way of living. And we're to put on something new. Well, what's the new man that we're to put on? It's Jesus. He is that new reality that we as believers have on us. That, that holiness and righteousness of the truth, he is the truth. So when you look at this idea of the clothing language, I'm to put off sin and I'm to put on Jesus. He becomes the clothing which I wear. Or maybe if you want to say it another way, I become the clothing which he wears. If you want to think it in a different context, that I become the vessel through which the God of the universe wants to inhabit and dwell and move his life through. He wants to show the entire universe what he looks like through our lives. Now for clarity, we do not become God. We don't become him. And yet we get to participate in his nature as 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, that, that somehow we get to share in his life. We get to taste of the reality of his life, that we get to experience the reality of him and his character and his nature. And yet we don't become God. We are finite creatures. We are very distinct from God. He is God and God alone. And yet we get to wear Jesus and he gets to indwell our lives through his spirit. There, there's this amazing reality of the life of Christ that I actually get to walk in Christ's likeness and godliness, not that I become God, but I share his character and his nature. That is amazing. That is just, that is so amazing. In Genesis, it says that we were created in his image. And do you realize that that new man, which is Christ Jesus, that that new man that he's wanting to bring us into, right? We throw off the old man, bring in the new, that that new man that we have is Christ himself. It's as we ought to be. That, that, that the reality of Christ's likeness and godliness is how humans were created. Adam and Eve in the garden were made to strangely look just like Jesus. But we blew it, which is why we need the new man. That whole idea of that new man being created in righteousness and holiness, do you realize that that is all over scripture? That we are called to live and reflect the reality of Christ. That because he is holy, because he is righteous, that that should be evident in and through our lives. So when I put on Christ Jesus, when he invades my life through the spirit of God, well, what's going to come out of me? Well, his life. When, when his life invades my own it's just going to squeeze out of every pore of my body, and he is going to be evident in and through my life. Listen to some of these passages. I, I love this. Leviticus chapter 11. God says, For I am Yahweh your God. Therefore, set yourselves apart as holy and be holy, for I am holy. For I am Yahweh who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus, you shall be holy, for I am am holy. See, God is holy. God is righteous. So what does he call his people? I want you to reflect me. I, I want you to be a showcase to the world around you of what I am like. 
you have that hint all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God chooses a man named Abram and says, Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham, I'm going to do something in your life that when the onlooking world looks at you, they don't see you, they see me. And because they see how I engage with you and interact with you and, and do in you, the whole onlooking world is going to say, I need that God in my life. And you see hints of that throughout scripture. You have people like Rahab. You have people like Ruth, where they see what God was doing amongst his people, and they say, I need in on that. I, I, I need that God as my God. In fact, I'm willing to throw off all of my former way of living. I'm willing to throw off my former way of life. I'm willing to throw off the former gods so I can embrace that God alone. And as you follow that through, Jesus says, do you know what's going to happen in your life as a, as a believer? The very same thing. The, the onlooking world is going to see your life and they're not going to see you. I mean, they're going to see you, but they're not going to see you. They're going to see God's working in your life. And when the onlooking world sees Christ in your life, it should cause a passion and a hunger and a desperation to say, what is it that you have? Because I desperately need that in my life as well. And the people who live like that, do you know what we have to call them? Christians. Because the reality of Christ is that they've been so transformed and changed that they have so thrown off the culture of the world and put on the Lord Jesus Christ that they are known not by what they used to be. They're not known for even who they are. They're known for Christ. And Christ and Christ alone becomes the explanation for how they live. That as his spirit indwells our life, as we abide and depend and trust and surrender to his working in our lives, our lives become utterly inexplainable to the world around us, except for Jesus. And wouldn't it be amazing if our lives began to reflect him? So as you look at our passage, Paul says, guess what's happening? You have put off the old and you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're not going to start walking in his character and his nature and his life predominantly in the righteousness and holiness. So here is a God in Leviticus saying, Woo, I am a holy God. Guess what I want you to be? I want you to be holy. As you follow this through, just, just listen to some of these other passages. Jumping into the New Testament in Luke chapter one, Zechariah is given this incredible prophecy after John is born. And at the end of the prophecy, Zechariah says this, that to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve God without fear, get this, we're to serve him, how? In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zacharias says, wow, God is doing something so incredible. Do you know what we're called to do? We are called to serve him and our service unto him is to be done in righteousness and holiness all of our days. What should mark our lives? Righteousness and holiness, which is God. God should mark our lives. He is the righteous one. He is the holy one. And he has invaded our lives. And therefore, we can demonstrate and showcase and live in the reality of righteousness and holiness. Why? Because he indwells our lives. Oh, that's so exciting. In Titus, Paul says this, speaking of an overseer of the church, he says an overseer must be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, get this, righteous, holy, and self-controlled. So, so, so what is the leadership of the church supposed to look like? Jesus. That, that if they're going to lead the body of Christ, 
then they must walk in the reality of his life. See, you can't just preach a good message and live however you want to live. The reality is, is that your life must match the, 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 the message that you are preaching. And what, what are we preaching? Jesus. So that means my life must reflect him. Well, how am I going to pull that one off? Well, as we talked in the last, in the last study, you can't live this. You cannot be righteousness or righteous and holy on your own. You need Jesus to invade your flesh and produce this thing in and through you. And yes, you're participating. Yes, you're pursuing him. Yes, you're walking in obedience. Yes, you're delighting yourself in him. You are clinging tight to him. But the reality is, this is what he does in you. That when I throw off the old man and I put on the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he do in my life? Oh, he changes me. He renews me. He transforms me. He just is on this ongoing sanctification process to make, make me look more and more like Jesus. That is incredible. I hope you're excited. <laughs> Listen to what John says. I love this passage. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. John says, by this, love has been perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Get this. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Do you know what you and I are supposed to be? Just as Jesus is, so we are in this world. Oh, so I'm supposed to mimic Jesus? No, no, no. My life has been invaded by the God of the universe, and now Christ lives inside of my life. And because his life dwells in me, that reality is supposed to be flowing out of my life. So when you look at my life, yeah, you see Nathan. But my hope and my desire is that you don't see me, you begin to see Jesus. And he just begins to ooze out of every pore of my body. Why? Because his life is so big in my life. So what would happen in our world if the the body of Christ quit trying to show, showcase themselves and rather became the vessel through which the God of the universe could demonstrate himself through our lives. See, what if we would actually quit looking like the culture around us and started to look like Jesus? That would turn the world upside down. I know. Well, we'd have to call those people Christians. I know. Don't you want to be one? That is such a phenomenal reality to me. Let me give you another idea, this whole idea of being putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah uses a very intriguing concept or a statement. He calls it a robe of righteousness. Listen to what Isaiah 64 verse 6 says. Speaking of that former way of living, he says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf. And all of our iniquities, like the wind, carry us away. When you look at what Isaiah is saying, he says, do you recognize that there is nothing good within you? When you look at the best attempt at us trying to produce righteousness, they're but filthy rags. And it'd be a, probably a fun study for you to dive in and actually learn what that means. Because I hear filthy rags and my, my dad does a lot of carpentry stuff and he has a big shop. And I'll, I'll go to his shop once in a while if I'm visiting my, my parents and I will see filthy rags. I, I see rags that are full of oil or I see rags that are full of, you know, stain or paint or, you know, grease marks. And, you know, I, I just see the reality of working in a shop. I see filthy rags, <laughs> but that's not this word. Uh, this word, uh, it, it, 
uh, I'm trying to find a nice way of saying it where uh, I'll, there's probably not a good way of saying it. The, the word that he's using for filthy rags is, is basically a minstrel cloth. It's a, it's a tampon and, and, and uh, which is disturbing on so many levels, but think about what that means. Isaiah says that our best attempt to be godly, our best attempt to walk in holiness, our best attempt in my own effort and my own wisdom and my own ability to produce righteousness is no different than a bloody cloth that we just want to get rid of. That, that we, we, we don't want filthy rags around us. And Isaiah says, exactly. Do you realize that our best attempt to be godly is not godly? Our best attempt at righteousness is not righteous. See, you can't live the life that God is calling you to live. Well, how on earth are we going to do this? Listen to what Isaiah says a few chapters earlier. He says in Isaiah 61.10, he says, I will rejoice greatly in, in Yahweh. My, my soul will rejoice in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Do you hear that? Isaiah says, there is phenomenal news. Even though my best attempt, even though my best work, even though my best struggle of producing godliness is but a filthy rag, woo, I have something that allows me to walk in righteousness. Well, well, what is that robe of righteousness that I'm wearing? Isaiah says, it is God himself. And when we understand in the fullness of scripture, he's talking about Jesus that Jesus becomes my robe of righteousness that I have put on. Interestingly, again, it's clothing language. And just as Paul says that we are to put off our former way of living and put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah says, my best attempts at being godly on my own is but a filthy rag. But what I have put on is God himself. And Jesus has become my robe of righteousness. Is that true in your life? Is Jesus your robe of righteousness? Is, is he that which actually makes you righteous and holy? I love this idea that Jesus' name, Jesus or Yeshua, means God is my salvation or God saves, Jehovah saves. When you look at that idea of, of God being my salvation, do you know what we're talking about? A robe of righteousness. That when I accept Christ, when I make him Lord of my life, what am I doing? I am putting off the old. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I have put him on and now he is my righteousness. He is my sole means of salvation. He is that which makes me right with the Father. See, Jesus is everything that I need for life and for godliness, as 2 Peter 1.3 says. See, we desperately need Jesus. He is that robe of righteousness which we wear. Let me maybe ask this as a question. I think this will help. We are called to live in holiness and righteousness that we have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question that becomes, well, how, how do we become holy? How do we walk in righteousness? Well, I've already talked about the robe of righteousness. He is our righteousness. But how do I walk in holiness? 
Do you realize it's the exact same answer? See, biblically, God is intrinsically holy, meaning he is the only one who is holy in and of himself. That we cannot be holy. We are not holy. We are filthy rag kind of stuff. And yet, biblically, God says, I am holy. Well, how am I going to walk in holiness? Well, there's five steps. I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to pull this off. I'm going to... See, (laughs) you can't do that. That's self-righteousness, which is filthy rags. So how how am I going to walk in holiness? How am I going to live the life that God is calling me to live? Think about this. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, there are these occasions where God shows up and things begin to change? For example, uh, here's this shepherd by the name of Moses. He grew up in Egypt, and when he was about... 40 years old, he killed the Egyptian, ran off into the desert. And he, he's a Midian, and he, he starts to tend the sheep of Jethro. And, and, and here's Moses, and as he's growing up, he, he comes upon this mountain, and he's probably been there countless times. In fact, he was probably there yesterday. And, uh, and, but on this particular day, he's, he's with the sheep, and the sheep are grazing. And, you know, and on, on the ground, there, you know, there's dead twigs, and there's dead bugs, and there's, there's a lot of sheep, and sheep are eating, and sheep do things after they eat. And so that's probably all around the mountainside. But this bush begins to burn. And Moses goes to investigate this burning bush. And the voice out of the bush says, Moses, take off your sandals because where you are standing is holy ground. Now, if I was Moses, I I would have turned to the bush and said, "Uh, we have a problem. Uh, I, I was here yesterday. Ground was not holy. Uh, in fact, if you look around the ground, there's a lot of filter on this ground. This is not holy ground. And God would speak back and say, <clears throat> no, no, no. The ground is holy. Well, what changed? God showed up. See, the very thing that was unholy, the moment God invades that thing, whoo, it becomes holy. Uh, maybe another example, you have this man by the name of Uzzah. And uh, he uh, it's during the reign of David, and they're they're carrying the ark into the temple. Now they weren't following the prescription that that Moses had given about the fact that you don't put the ark on a cart; you're supposed to carry it by the priests. Uh, but they had it on the cart, and of course the ox stumbles, and the ark of God is about to fly off the cart. Now, if you saw the ark of God about to fall off a cart, I would have done the very same thing that Uzzah did, which is he put his hand up to catch the ark to keep it on the cart. We don't want the ark of God to fall on the ground. But the moment he touched it, he drops down dead. And you can say, well, what just happened? Well, that ark is holy. And you can say, hold on. But if you go back into the time of Moses, there was all these men who were constructing that ark and they're putting their grubby hands all over it. So why didn't they die? Why didn't they just fall down dead? Well, it's because something changed with that ark that when they blessed it and anointed it, God came down and says, hey, this is, this is mine. This is now holy. Isn't it fascinating that you can have something that is unholy, but the moment that God invades that thing, that becomes holy. So let's talk about us. We are unholy. (laughs) Amen. We are unrighteous. Amen. In fact, our best attempts at trying to be godly or holy end up only producing filthy rags. 
So how, what are, are we going to do this? How on earth are we going to live a holy life? I am unholy. But God is holy. So what would happen if I would allow my life to embrace his? See, what would happen if I would get tight with Jesus? See, what would happen if I would go after him? See, what would actually happen if I put on the Lord Jesus Christ and allow his spirit to indwell my life? That would change everything. Because that which is unholy, me, would experience the holiness of God. And God, who is the only one who is intrinsically holy, he's the only one who is holy in and of himself. But when God shows up in my life, that which is unholy becomes holy. We need Jesus. And the only way that we are ever going to walk in righteousness and holiness of the truth is when we get tight with Jesus. There's a beautiful illustration in scripture that I love to talk about. And it's this idea of Jesus being born in a stable. Isn't it interesting that the God of the universe, when he's about to be born, is not born in a palace. He's not even born in a nice hospital. He is not even born in a house. He is born in a mucky stable. Now, whether that was one of the shepherd's caves, whether that was the animal area underneath the house, regardless of what actually was, doesn't matter. The idea was it's the place of the animals. And of course, if our animals are there, it is not a clean place. They're stomping all the hay. They're throwing it all over the place. There's animal droppings. I mean, this place is, it's, 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 a, it's a filthy stable. And yet the God of the universe was willing to be born in the most humiliating of places. I mean, if a king is born, a king is born in a palace. And yet the God of the universe, the one who deserves all praise and honor and the best of all things, was willing to stoop and be born in a mucky stable? Yes. And I love that imagery because that's a great picture of our lives, isn't it? That God is willing to be born in you known as a mucky stable, that we are full of deadness, we are full of sin. Paul says in Romans that while I was yet a sinner and I was shaking my fist in rebellion toward God, Christ died for me. That, that, that here I am, I am full of so much corruption. Here I am so full of deadness. I'm full of animal droppings. I, I'm only producing filthy rags out of my life. Hey, there is nothing good within me. No, not, not, not a single thing is even good within me. And yet, just as Jesus was willing to be born in a stable, so too he is willing to be birthed in my life. And he is willing to come in to my mucky stable. That is a grand picture of the gospel. But that's not where it ends. See, the modern culture has said, yay, he'll come in and, and, and yeah, you don't have to clean yourself up. That's true. He'll, he'll come on you in, no matter the junk and the problems you've had. Amen. Praise the Lord. The problem is the modern church has said, and you can just keep on doing whatever you want to do. That, you know, he's just going to love you and he's going to pat you on the head and go, woo. Folks, that's not true. Yes, he's willing to be born in a stable known as you. But do you realize that he doesn't grow up to stay in a stable? In fact, he lives in a temple. And Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And you recognize that in the temple, 
they're, 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 they don't have animal droppings. In, in the temple, it's very clean. In the temple, it smells really nice. In the temple, there is no sin. In the temple, there is, uh, there is holiness and righteousness and truth. And See, God is willing to be born in a life known as us, which is a mucky stable. That's true. Praise the Lord. But he refuses to leave you that way. See, he wants to do something in your life. He wants to change, renew, transform your life into a beautiful, holy temple fit for the living God. So when Paul says, do you not recognize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not recognize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Which means he needs to transform our lives. He needs to sanctify our lives. So get this idea. I can't be holy on my own. I can't produce righteousness on my own. I am a mucky stable. And yet God, in his overwhelming love and humility, is willing to be born in my life. He wants to be produced in my life. And yet he won't leave the muck in my life. Why? Because I now have the life of Christ. I have learned Jesus, which means he's wanting to bring about his righteousness, his holiness and truth in my life. Can I ask you, is that evident in you? Are you trying to produce righteousness and holiness on your own? Or have you allowed the God of the universe to invade your life and allow his holiness to be your holiness, to allow his righteousness to be your righteousness? Have you fallen into that trap of the modern day where we just says, well, yeah, yeah, my life's a mess, but hey, I'm a human and, and God's just going to you know, pat me on the head and it's going to be okay and one day I'll be redeemed. And See, yes, he's going to be born in a stable known as you, but he's going to refuse to leave you that way. He wants you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to throw off the old stable stuff. He wants to remove all that old nature thing and he wants to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in your life so that you can walk in his life in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Just as a way to end, let's read Romans 13. Listen to what Paul says to the Roman church because it just is a great summary of what we're saying here. Paul says this in Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. In other words, not the old stuff of our lives. But put on, another translation says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Would you put off that former way of living? Would you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? And would you let him renew you moment by moment by moment? Would you let him sanctify you, change and transform you so that his righteousness and his holiness would be seen and demonstrated in and through your life. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.